This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. How's everybody doing? Family weekend. Family relationships. Before I jump into that, um, I totally forgot to tell you guys I I have a couple books. Um, Walking the Supernatural is back there. That's Bill and Benny, myself, uh, Banny Liebscher, Danny Silk. We all wrote. Chris Overstreet wrote a few chapters about just how to have a supernatural lifestyle. So that there's a few of those left. And then I have a few of these left, Risk Factor. It's a book that my dad and I wrote together. If you know our family, we take a lot of risk. Like my parents, just to give you a little bit of history, because I probably should have done this last night when you guys have never seen me before, heard of me before. But anyways, um, I grew up in the vineyard movement, grew up hanging out with uh, John Wimper, five years old, sitting on his lap. So it was a pretty cool like heritage and, um, and grew up in the 80s, uh, going to the vineyard. Uh, my parents were on staff with John McClure in the Newport Vineyard, and, you know, which was very close in proximity to the Anaheim Vineyard with, uh, with John. My parents ministered with Lonnie, Lonnie Frisbee, uh, who I shared a little bit last night about. And uh, he painted this picture, this very abstract picture of two angels protecting my parents. And we moved a lot. And so my parents lost that painting. And Lonnie went to be with the Lord in the mid-90s. And we were learning uh, at Bethel about uh, mantles and anointings and honor. And when you honor a prophet, the name of a prophet you receive, the prophet's wilderness season, right? (laughs) No, you receive the prophet's reward. What that prophet has cultivated, contended for, stewarded for decades. When you honor, when you place value on what that person's carrying, you get the breakthrough. You get the reward, which is pretty awesome. And so my dad was like, uh, I don't know why I'm segueing to this, but it's a good segue, and it's a Lonnie Frisbee kind of segue. And, uh, and so this was like 2004, 2003. My dad, I found my dad sitting in the living room, and he's just like bummed out. I'm like, Dad, what's going on? He's like, man, I missed it. Like, Lonnie had this painting for us, and we lost it. I was with Lonnie on his deathbed. I was uh, around for the last six months of his life, and and I would just kind of come and take care of him and like, you know, love on him. But all these pastors would come in and say, Lonnie, lay hands on me. Like, like release the mantle, like impart to me. And my dad never did that. And my dad's like, oh, I think I missed it. And I'm like, dad, like, I don't think you missed it. Like, look at your life, first of all. You're like a crazy evangelist. And, you know, you loved the man. Like, like, like you honored him. You weren't there to get something. You weren't there to get the, like, laying on of hands. Like, you actually loved and cared for him, and that was your agenda. Like, I, I think that's one of the greatest ways to receive impartation. And my dad's like, okay, yeah, yeah. And so he just went on this, like, kind of Lonnie Frisbee kick, like, 2003, 2004. So he was doing research on Lonnie, and... Um, and so he found out Lonnie had his start in San Francisco, in, uh, I think it's Modesto. And he started this thing called the House of Acts. And so this is before the Jesus People movement. And what happened was, is, you know, I shared it last night with Chuck Smith. He was uh, um, hitchhiking down the coast. And, uh, and so this is before he went on that hitchhiking journey where he first met Chuck and Kay. 
And so uh, he started this house of Acts, and my dad wanted to go and find the house of Acts and pray there, like redig the wells, you know, like he brought a team. And so he told the pastors, they tried to find it, couldn't find it. And so it's his last meeting in Modesto, and it's a leadership meeting, like a pastor's regional, it's not just pastors, but it's also like leaders. And so my dad is sharing, like, man, I'm so bummed. I came here to look for the house of Acts where, like, Lonnie kind of started his ministry, and we couldn't find it, and, you know, what a bummer. And this lady stands up. I wasn't there on this trip, but anyways, this lady stands up, and she goes, "Uh, I'm not a leader. I'm a school teacher. Uh, I don't even know why I'm here, but now with you talking, I know why I'm here. Uh, I started the house of Acts, me and my husband, with Lonnie Frisbee. And um, Lonnie paid somebody, you know, Lonnie uh, later, you know, in his life contracted AIDS. And so he was very, very sick. And, um, and so he had someone, he paid someone to drive him in a van where he laid down from Costa Mesa, uh, where he was living, to go all the way to Modesto when he was on basically the last year or so of his life. He shows up at 2 a.m. at this lady's house. And says, I came here from the, uh, the Spirit of God told me to come here and lay hands on you. And he laid hands, like two in the morning, woke them up, laid hands on them and said, there'll be a man that's coming years from now. There'll be a man named Kevin coming to look for my anointing. You need to give him this, but you need to tell him it's a sign that it's not just for him, but it's for the whole generation. And she's crying, and she says, I've been waiting for you. And she lays hands on my dad, and he just gets rocked. And then I think it was about a year and a half later, he wrote The Ultimate Treasure Hunt. He, uh, you know, started Firestarters and all stuff. So I'm like, Dad, I think you got it. <laughs> but that gives you a little idea of uh, my parents and then also myself. Like, my parents are two radical evangelists, which is the equivalent of being raised by a pack of wild wolves. If you can survive that, you could survive practically anything. Like, I grew up at 10 years old. They would, uh, they would throw me in the big dumpsters to minister to the winos, to the drug addicts, because I was the smallest one. So they could throw me in there pretty easily. Uh, our church was called Church 24-7. My parents started a church uh, when I was 10 years old. And uh, we, you know, welcome to the ministry. We went into a condemned house. You know, that's, that's where we lived. We lived in a condemned house. The day we moved out was the day they bulldozed it down. Yeah, welcome to ministry. <laughs> Which, by the way, God is breaking this whole religious deal of, you know, John G. Lake burying his wife, burying his kids, and saying it's, it's, it's for the gospel. Like, there is sacrifice, but, you know... Jesus. Should we go there? You know, where, I mean, your greatest manifestation of love, right, is that you lay down your life for your friends. But the focus has got to be friendship, not laying down your life. And so when there's so much equity, when there's so much friendship, there's so much connection that when sacrifice is required, it's easy for me to sacrifice because of all the equity. The focus of that scripture is friendship. And it's a religious spirit. Like, I went to Brownsville. We, there would be people that would argue who was going to be the first martyr of the school. And I'm like, uh, I don't think that's, like, our goal. 
you know? I think that's a spirit of stupid. <laughs> but that's a religious spirit. Because, yeah. I mean, what did the Pharisees do? They were fasting, they were doing all the right things, and it was that spiritual pride, like, you know, like, oh, look what I've done, I've sacrificed, and that can sometimes happen in the missions, like, like missions movement, definitely. Yeah. We're killing that thing right now. And I love the nations. I love missions. Jesus, yeah, I should just do this. Yeah, yeah. You know, I talked about fun being one of the dynamics of relationship. You know, you don't want to know another dynamic or another ingredient for great relationships is inconvenience. There's something in the way that God has designed relationships that inconvenience. You know, there's something about time. Right? Like, I thought I knew what love was when I was dating my wife. I thought I knew what love was when I was like a year in the marriage. Now we're 13 years in, and it's like, wow, I have a whole new definition of marriage than what I had when I was first married. And then you get around people that have been married 40 years, and it's like, oh my gosh. And the reason why is because those moments of inconvenience, when you choose yes, when you say yes, it begins to build equity in the relationship. There's something about time, like we love suddenlies. I love suddenlies, but there's something beautiful about time. Jesus. You guys, I'm about ready to like, I could just go preaching this. If I, I mean, we could do it. I mean, Jesus told his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, you love one another. Amen. So that the world will know that you are my disciples and how you love one another. Like, this is going to trigger all the evangelists, but can we forget about loving the world? What if we were just to stop all that and say, hey, you know what? Let's focus on loving one another. Because what does the world say about the church? Total generalized statement. But what does the world say about the church? They don't get along. They shoot their wounded. They, you know, they, they, they disagree on everything. They have all these dividing lines. But what if we model the love that's never been seen before? That doesn't come from emotions. That doesn't, that's way beyond emotions, way beyond convenience, way beyond like agreement. But we actually love one another. And actually... For all the evangelists in the room, that will probably open up the greatest harvest we've ever seen. So what is this love? You know, that Jesus talks about, and then he demonstrates in his life. The greatest manifestation of love is that you lay down your life for your friends. You know, when, when he went up to the cross, like, I think... When that, you know, he was thinking about me, he was thinking about you, but when that nail was getting deeper and deeper, he started thinking about his best friends. He started thinking about Peter, James, and John, the guys that he had fish tacos with, the guys that he slept in caves with. He was thinking about, like, man, we've got equity. Let's just think about that for a second. Like, like let's just think of the human side of Jesus. You know, Last Supper, he's like, Peter, even you are going to deny me. Like, this is his best friend. Sometimes we look at the red letters, and it's like, yeah, Jesus, like, this is what, you know, you, this, is, this is you fulfilling your destiny. 
like you're on cruise control or something. But you have to understand that there was emotions. There was the human side of Jesus. This is my best friend, and I just got information from my dad that this guy is going to betray me. And so he's carrying his cross, and he's hearing the rooster crow, and he's looking at it like a crowd of people surrounding his best friend Peter. And what is Peter doing? He's blowing up the bridge. I don't know Jesus. You're confusing me with someone else. We have no connection. We have not done life together. Blowing up the bridge. And Jesus is like, that's my best friend. And what does Jesus do? Resurrected Jesus. And he gets resurrected. What's the first thing that he does? Sees Mary. Sorry, Mary. Can't talk to you. I need to go and see my friend. When I left this planet, my friend blew up the bridge of our connection, of our covenant. And I'm going to go and see my friend Peter. One of the most beautiful stories of restoration. Jesus goes, first act, first agenda, go see my friend Peter. Peter went back to his old life, fishing. He sees Jesus on the shore. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, I didn't know that I would have a shot at restoring this relationship, even though Jesus gave him so many, you know, (laughs) cheat sheets. I'm going to come back. (laughs) He doesn't wait for the boat to get there. He jumps in the water and swims to his best friend. And it isn't God, it isn't like Jesus calling him to, you know, be my rock, feed my sheep. It's him, their relationship being restored. See, God didn't give you friends for a season. You weren't meant in the design of covenant, relationship. See, to have covenant, covenant with God, covenant with your spouse, covenant with friends, covenant in business, it takes at least two parties to say yes. And that's why us being powerful people, that we need to be saying yes and be bridge builders, and, but we can't control the other side of the bridge. I, I wasn't, well, wasn't going to be speaking on this, but you guys are. Inconvenience. There's just something about inconvenience, inconvenience and offense. These, I never try to reduce impartation just to the laying on of hands. That I try to position my heart, my life, that I am in impartation service all the time. And so I'm, get, I'm trying to lean into the Lord, like, Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I would see my opportunities where you are inviting breakthrough into my life. And I'm telling you, some of the craziest impartations I've ever had is when I get offended and when there's crazy inconvenience. Uh, I'll give you an example of inconvenience. Uh, We were praying for this lady, me and Joaquin Evans. She had breast cancer from Texas. She came to Bethel. We prayed for her Friday night for like five hours. We prayed for her Saturday for like a good four hours. We prayed for her Sunday morning, you know, in the the early service, all the way through till about 2.30 in the afternoon. So from like 8 a.m. to 2.30, like a solid six hours. 
and she didn't get healed. Nothing was happening. You know, and we're just like, I looked at Joaquin, I'm like, I got to go get some food. Like, I am starving. So we went to this uh, Mexican restaurant. I ordered a carne asada burrito with guacamole and onions. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> just, oh, yes, Jesus. <laughs> this is, this is a, a burrito in heaven, you know, this is heaven in a burrito form or something like that. Like, taste and see that God is good. But so right when my burrito comes, like I'm so hungry, my burrito comes and sits right, like I'm ready to devour this thing. And my dad and mom walk into the restaurant. And right behind them is this couple from Texas, this lady with breast cancer. And my dad goes, oh my gosh, Chad, Julia, Joaquin, what a coincidence that you guys would be here. Have you met this couple? Like, like you need to pray like for this lady, Chad, who had this crazy healing anointing, like you should pray for this lady. And I'm like, Dad, where have you been all weekend? Like, tag, you're it. You know, like, like, I'm not ready to give him the boundaries, like, you know, message and the sustainability. And like, like, all right, like, I've been pushing. Now it's time for you. I've, 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 I'm clocking out. I'm not on the clock anymore. Like, you know, like, giving him all these, you know, I don't want to be William Branham up on the stage for four days preaching. And like, that's just not a good idea. And the Lord speaks to me right when I'm about ready to make some excuses or say, hey, this is too inconvenient or I've already put in my time. And you would have thought too, like, right, like Bethel's like perfect conditions, you know, like you got Bill Johnson decreed, you know, cancer bow to Jesus and we're seeing cancer bow to Jesus weekly in this, in this building and you got Brian Johnson strumming the guitar, releasing like the healing anointing and, and healing angels are like going around like, you're thinking the conditions are right. <laughs> and here we are at this Mexican restaurant. And I, and I hear the Lord say, Chad, didn't you say that I could show up in your life anywhere, anytime? And I'm like, dang. <laughs> Super inconvenient. Had a number of excuses. Had a number of reasons why I don't need to pray for. But I put my burrito aside. And me and Joaquin lay hands on her, and something different happens. We say the same prayer, but something different happens. She begins to scream. She begins to manifest some Klingons that were trying, <laughs> that needed to get off board. So, <laughs> so she's like, you know, and that's with deliverance and all stuff, we, we move in honor. Like, because A, it's a little bit, like, embarrassing when you become friends with someone after they've been delivered and like, oh, how'd you guys meet? Well, you know, um, she had some friends and I jumped up on the table and I said, come out, you Beelzebub! You know? Like, remember? Remember when I grabbed your head and started, you know, doing that and, you know, your name is Sheila. If it isn't, it's Sheila from this day forward. You are a new woman. Like, like no, like, like no. I, I, we come in love. We come in honor. Like, and it's like, yeah, we don't really want an embarrassing first meeting. You know, like. So, anyways, we just start releasing peace because she's like screaming, causing like a scene. Like everyone stops eating. Chefs, like the cooks from the kitchen, come out to see what's going on. The, the manager is like, what is happening in my restaurant? And he's right next to the hostess table. And the hostess went to BSSM. And she's like, 
oh, look at that. She's getting set free of a couple things. Wow, that's really cool. And the manager's like, wait, what? Like, what's happening? And, 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 and so she's getting, she's getting set free. And then suddenly we start releasing joy over her, and she starts getting drunk in the spirit. She starts laughing, like, like really, really loud. And, and the manager's watching, and, and so the hostess is like, oh, look at that. The joy of the Lord's all over her. That is so sweet. That's so special. And the manager's like, well, um, I drink alcohol because I'm depressed. Um, I, I have a relationship with girls because I'm trying to feel a need there. I feel like there's a hole in my heart, and I can't figure out how to fill it. And she goes, well, I know how you can fill it. It's, his name is Jesus. And she leads her boss to the Lord while this lady is getting delivered. She ends up getting set free. She ends up getting healed of cancer. And everybody just watched it. Another inconvenient time. Because whenever I get like inconvenience, I go, okay, let me take a step back. You're about ready to crash in. This is so inconvenient that I have to turn to you you know, and, and just know that there's breakthrough, like right on the corner. Like, I am in an impartation service. So I went to Haiti right when they had an earthquake in 2010, and uh, they lost my bags. So we had all these supplies for kids and all this other stuff. And so I, um, me and my buddy, we had like four bags. So we had two bags each, and it was all supplies that we needed. So we would, and it was very inconvenient because we would have to go back to the airport in the afternoons, and it was taking time away from us doing these outreaches, like we had this uh, children's center. I don't really like to call them orphanages, just because I'm an iris kind of guy, and we just, that's like the dirty word in our, in our movement, because these kids aren't orphans anymore. You know, that's why we have the village of joy, the village of love, and like they're in a family. They are no longer orphans. They are sons and daughters. So anyways, we went to this children's center, and it was crazy because the earthquake Everyone over 14 years old died. Like all the overseers, all the adults, all the teenagers. And so there was about 65 of these kids, 14 and younger. So like we were working with them, getting them connected to another children's center. We were getting all this stuff. But I had all these supplies. So we'd have to go back. And it was the second day going back to the airport. And I was like, this is ridiculous. This is super inconvenient. So we show up. And, the, you know, it's Haiti. And the guy's like, um, yeah, the guy that has, you know, that probably your bags, I think, came in. But the guy with that, that put him in the room, he, like, left. We don't know where he went. He has the keys. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is the devil. <laughs> Stealing my time. Like, taking away, you know, ministering to these people. Like, this is ridiculous. And I look at my buddy. I'm like, Dude, we just need to pray for people. That's the answer here. We need to go pray for people. This is so inconvenient that we need to be focused on, you know, the kingdom of heaven coming. We need to focus on the Lord and not be all, like, spiraled out about, like, what's up with our bags and using all this energy to try to get our bags. Like, I'm like, no, no, no. God will take care of that. Let's just focus on him. So we went to these beggars right outside the airport, and they were all blind. And we just lay hands on them. First guy, boom, eyes open. And he's just freaking out. And he's grabbing, so I grab him, and I say, hey, you need to pray for your, you know, your co-worker here. And so he prays for his co-worker, and his eyes open, and they're all like, they're both freaking out, hugging, and then that's when the guy comes and goes, hey, we have your bags, they're ready. And I'm like, yeah, our job is done here. Inconvenience. 
It's crazy because if you ask God for breakthrough, and this is why inconvenience is the way that it is as far as in the kingdom, when you say, okay, let's just go with healing. Okay, God, I want to grow in healing. Well, then what he will do is he will, whether it be at work, whether it be with family, there will be opportunities to, to move in healing, and your breakthrough might come at inconvenient times, when it maybe costs you something, or it's, it's revealing what is your number one priority. Fear of man, or is it truly, hey, my number one priority is God, and I don't care what that looks like. Like, obviously, there's a way to approach things, there's a way... But it might be someone like, oh, I've got this crazy headache at work. And you're like, oh, this is it. This is my moment. And when you feel that like, oh, man, what are people going to think? What are people like? I'm like, hey, you're on the right track then. Because he's exposing what's your number one priority. And when your number one priority is Jesus, you know, it's like, all right, I don't care what people think. There's obviously ways of delivery. We want people to feel honored. We want people to feel safe. But we don't want the fear of man ruling our lives. Because the fear of man, fear paralyzes you. It keeps you from stepping into your destiny. Which is like the reason why you should get this book. Is it breaks the spirit of fear. It's the risk factor. It's, it's stepping out. Like fear paralyzes you. It keeps you from stepping into your destiny. And we, we sometimes have to run into battle the way that David did. When we listen to fear, it becomes harder and harder to get up. Then that's what the nation of Israel was going through. Forty days of just listening to Goliath taunting the armies of the living God. And David comes out of the presence. He's like, who is this unclean Philistine, 14 years old? He's like, I'll take him out. And his brother goes, I know why you came here. He was giving him the wrong kind of like, you know, uh, he was dealing with a familiar spirit of fear, and he was trying to put what he was going through on his brother. And David's like, I don't have time to argue with you. I didn't come here to spectate. I didn't come here to sit on my hands. I came here to kill this giant. If no one else is going to take him on, I'll take him on. You guys were born to be giant killers. So another way to be a giant killer and another way to receive impartation from heaven is understanding about offense. You guys doing okay? When a fence creeps in, that is a moment of breakthrough in your life. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's go. Look with me to Matthew 15. I'm not, this is just like a freebie. This is, this woman is one of my heroes. I cannot wait to meet her in heaven. She is a legend. This is the Canaanite woman, Matthew 15, uh, verse 22. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon. So what's going on there? This woman sees what's on Jesus in the spirit, is able to see that he is carrying breakthrough for her daughter, and suddenly faith is coming in, and she's like, All right, I am going to get breakthrough. She's just being a good mom. I'm going to get breakthrough from my daughter. So she's like, Jesus, please, you know, deliver my daughter. And that's what's happening. Like, she is like on a mission. Yet he did not say a word to her. So there's ignoring. So his disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she cries out after us. Like, this woman is screaming. 
Send her away. Get rid of her. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So I have a, a list of scriptures at home, and I call them bummer scriptures. <laughs> bummer scriptures. What I mean by that is bummer. <laughs> that this scripture was actually put as an invitation if that you would know and have eyes to see how big God is, and that he's addressing something that needs to be a shift. What I mean is, is Paul talking about, you have many teachers, but not many fathers. Bummer, there needs to be a shift where there's way more fathers and mothers than there are teachers. Luke 4, Jesus talking to Nazareth and saying, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. He was saying, bummer. Because I believe that in the kingdom, prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers should feel the most honored in their hometown. What he was doing there in Luke 4, he was trying to trigger the hearts of the people to go, oh my gosh, Jesus, you don't feel honored? You don't feel valued? Because what was going on with Nazareth? Like, I don't think Jesus woke up one morning and was like, you know what? I want to go back to my hometown, stir up like the spirit of rejection to the point where they're going to try to kill me. That sounds like a hoot. I don't think Jesus did that. Jesus had a special place in his heart for his hometown, the place that he grew up, like that he was 10 years old walking around like one day the Holy Spirit's going to rest upon me and I'm going to pray for blind little Timmy that I go to class with and his eyes are going to open like I can't wait. Like that, that, that crippled guy that I walk over to my like dad's shop, I can't wait for the Spirit of God to rest upon me and we dance in the streets of my hometown. I think he had a heart for the people. And he was actually releasing an invitation to them, saying, hey, I know what you want. You want in Capernaum. I mean, sorry, I'm preaching now on Luke 4, but it's a good, it's a good preach, and it's an awesome deal. <laughs> I know what you want. You want an open heaven, and this is how you get it. In the, time of, uh, in the time of Elijah, there were many widows, but one widow got ministered to. In the time of Elisha, there was many lepers, but one leper got ministered to. What is he saying there? He's saying, hey, I know what you want. You want, it. You want what's in Capernaum. Sorry, you can't, you can't have it. God will do this to us. He will say things with his voice, but are you going to follow his voice or are you going to follow his heart? There are times when he speaks and it actually puts a line in the sand. Do you know God's heart? That he is not limited to only pour out in Capernaum. He's not in a box. Hallelujah. Oh, dear Lord, now you're getting me really good going. Like, do you understand with Moses, right? Like, this is the audible, like he's meeting with the king of glory, and he says, all right, Moses, we're going to promote you. You're going to become the new Abraham. We're going to kill all of Israel. We're going to wipe out Abram's promise, and we're going to make you the new Abram. We're going to make you the new Abraham. And Moses is like, oh man, like what are other nations going to say about you, God? Like, like your reputation, like he's caring way more about his heart than his own promotion. And he's like, oh, thank God, somebody who understands me, someone who has my heart. But that's like the audible, like if we're servants, which Jesus said, no longer are you servants, but you're friends. But this has been the deal since Adam and Eve. We were made to commune. We were made 
to connect. Are you guys, are we, are we, are we in a good spot? Right? And then what does Satan do? He's like, hey, you can eat from this tree, and it doesn't require any inconvenience. It doesn't require any work. It doesn't require intimacy. You get to have, by eating this tree, you get to just have it where you have no relational, like, investment. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. Let's take the easy way. Because what happens, right? Like these friends of God in the Old Testament, like Moses going up to the mountain, and he's got, got his, like, you know, boss hat on, leadership hat on, and he's like, God, for us to be successful, you've got to go with us. And finally, God's like, all right, I'll go with you. And he's like, leadership hat off. Now I'm here on my own accord. Show me your glory. I want to know your ways. I don't want to be a servant and just follow your ways. I want to know your ways. I want to know your heart. And then what does Moses do? He comes down to the people. He's like, hey, this is what God said. And they're like, hey, that's awesome. Can you go and do the mountaintop thing? And we'll just stay down here and party. You just tell us what he says, which is what? We want to be servants because it's easy. There's nothing required of me. Friendship requires everything. But it's so awesome. The benefits far outweigh. That's why people talk about the sacrifice and all stuff. I'm like, whoa, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I'm just not going to be consumed with the sacrifices because my focus is the benefits. My focus is my relationship. Like, I get to be best friends with the creator of the universe. I don't care about the sacrifices. They're all worth it because the benefits far outweigh any of the sacrifices, even my life, because I lose my life so I may find it. No longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. Because if you stay in the position of a servant, you'll be set up for failure. Because a friend, you know, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But Jesus said in John 17, God, make them one as you and I are one. Jesus. No longer servants. So this whole thing of offense, Matthew 15, bummer scriptures. What is he saying there? I'm limited, I'm restricted. I only have an anointing to the lost sheep of Israel. That's what I have. He's like, man, you're a Canaanite, you're a Gentile. Like, I'll give you a little, you know, secret. You know, like, like I'm going to go and die on the cross, and when I get resurrected, it's available for everybody. Like, maybe if you pray a little harder, maybe if you fast a little bit more, maybe you can speed up the process. Your daughter be with the first one. And what is, she's like, no, 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 no. You're carrying breakthrough. What happens when you get a response from God that you don't like? This is, this is what she does. But she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. Heidi Baker says that's one of her greatest prayers. Lord, help but her response is worship. She gets an answer she doesn't like. She gets a bummer scripture. Sorry, I'm limited. I'm restricted. But she had eyes to see. No, you are God. You are not limited. You are not restricted. You might say that, like, you know, but man, I know what you're carrying. These are red letters of Jesus. Sorry, can't help you. And she says, Lord, help me. 
He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, this is Jesus' probably his greatest racial slur of his ministry. Like, like if there was any offense, if there was any seeds of offense in this lady, it would be triggered right about now. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she's like been waiting for the open door. She was waiting for the green light. She was waiting for her moment to seize for her daughter's breakthrough. And she had eyes to see. And this is the moment of greatest offense. But she turns it around and says, yeah, that's totally true, God. But even the dogs eat the crumbs off the master's table. And she turns it around for her breakthrough. And, she's, and God's like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, he goes, oh, woman. I love how there's an O there. How great is your faith? And her daughter was healed instantly. Wait, wait, wait. I thought this was this conversation. And after the conversation, daughter healed instantly. But the red letters of Jesus says, sorry, I can't. Pretty epic. That's why going after healing for the last 20 years, sometimes people that have been dealing with disease, dealing with sickness, dealing with conditions, five years, 10 years, 20 years, I will track them down where we will talk and get to a place where they first got offended with God. And I was like, that was your moment of healing. And we'll go back there and we will like get rid of offense and then boom, they get healed. I'm telling you, the moment that offense tries to creep in was actually an invitation for promotion in the spirit realm. It's what you do with it. Talking about relationships, which I guess we're on, <laughs> is um, in 2003, um, I was traveling with Bill and Chris quite a bit, Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin, and we were doing this conference in Harvest Rock in Pasadena. Now, I grew up in Orange County. And I have a lot of friends that are like sensationalists, you know, like, you know, they just don't believe in the gifts. They, don't, they think I'm just weird. They think, like, man, you're just like, a, like, you just have a special relationship with God no one else is supposed to have, you know, like type of thing. And I'm like, no, this is available for everybody. And, and, I, and so I'm trying to set up my friends for success, you know. And when you take friends to like charismatic meetings, you're always like thinking with them in mind, like, you know, it's always a little nerve wracking. But anyways, like what's going to happen? Oh, no, they're laughing. They're just, you know, like, they're just really happy. And um, <laughs> so anyways, I try, you know, I try to take them to see Bill. And Bill's, like, amazing. Like, Bill's, like, maybe this isn't the best example, but he feels like the gateway drug of the charismatic church. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like if you hear Bill and you don't believe in healing, it's like the moment you hear him, you're like, oh, yeah, I believe in healing. Like, like, he's going to set up, like, he's such an amazing teacher, revelation, like, all this stuff. Like, he's going to set up my friends for success to, like, understand what I'm going after. But all my friends canceled. They can't come that night. And then Heidi Baker was the next night, so I invited them. And I was like, well, this is a little more risky. She's going to lay on the stage and say Shaba for, like, 30 minutes. <laughs> like, you know, but no one could deny the fruit, you know, of, of this woman's life where the spirit of adoption is, like, over a nation, but they can't come. So they said, hey, we'll come Sunday night. That's when we come. So 10 of my friends come, and this lady, Jill Austin, is ministering. Yeah, yeah. Anybody here? Uh, ever, ever, who's ever been in a Jill Austin meeting? Okay, so there's like three of us. Wow, man, that's crazy. <laughs> I know. She was this prophet, prophetess. She uh, was a part of the Kansas City prophets in the 80s. 
Um, she saw a whole move of God in New Zealand in 91 that was definitely the same manifestations of Toronto, so it was kind of like a precursor to Toronto. But anyway, she was, um, she missed a lot with Lonnie Frisbee and the Jesus Field movement. That's, how, that's where she got saved. And, uh, and she was an artist. She was amazing, but very, very prophetic and like just kind of co-labored with heaven. You know, it was just crazy, the stuff that would happen. People, it, it, yeah, we could go into the Jill ministry. But anyways, I didn't know Jill at this point. Like, this is my first time hearing her speak. So I got 10 of my friends, and she's like, she gets up there to speak, and she goes, uh, the Lord has spoken to me and told me that there's people here that are pregnant in the spirit, and you're way overdue, and so she goes, let the birth pain start, God. And she hits the, the pulpit, and all these men that were around me and my friends, like in their 60s, go, And Jill get, goes, get a birthday position! And so these grown men go on the floor, and she's like, raise up the midwives, God. Where are the midwives? And so other men are grabbing the legs of these men, saying, push, push, push. And she's going through the stages of birthing. Like, like, like I'm like, oh my golly. Yeah, get this on video. I mean, like, like, seriously, like, my friends are, like, grabbing me and said, Chad, we came here as an intervention. Like, like, you're a part of a cult. And I'm thinking to myself for a moment, like, maybe I am involved in a cult. Like, what in the world is this? But I, like, grab it. I'm like, hey, don't, I don't know what's going on behind me. Like, don't look over there. I'm like, you're safe. And so I, I took them to the side room at Harvest Rock, grabbed a couple other second-year students, and we went into this side room where we put on like these white robes and made them drink this juice. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, we went and took them in this side room. We just started prophesying over them, and God totally backed us up, and they're crying. Like, wow, God knows me. God, like, you know, knows my secrets. He knows my heart. And, like, it was awesome. But as far as, like, the Jill Austin ministry, like, I'm going to honor from afar. Like, that's just not my jam. You know, like, birthing spiritual babies, revival babies, like, that's just not my cup of tea. That's just not my ministry. That's not my, you know, mandate in life. So I was just like, yeah, I, I don't know about that lady. Like, that, that, just, that was weird. So about a year later, I'm meeting this business guy in Irvine in Orange County. And we, you know, I come in the parking lot. There he is. I'm walking. And he goes, hey, Chad, I have a special treat for you. Um, I brought this lady. And I'm like, oh, sweet, sweet man. Who, who is this lady? Yeah, she's a prophetess. Her name is Jill Austin. And I'm like, uh, I have a doctor's appointment. I've got a dentist. Uh, I got to go in oil change. Uh, I'm going to have to cancel this lunch. And the Lord's like, Chad, are you going to let offense keep you from growing with me? This lady has breakthrough that you desperately need, and you need to reposition your heart to receive what's on this lady's life. And I was like, oh, dang. Like, I have some offense. And so I go, and I just, you know, one way to kill offense is tell me your journey. One of the greatest ways to receive impartation is I ask, like, fathers and mothers, I want to know about your victories, but I also want to know about your losses. I want you to show me your scars. 
Show me your scars. I want to know what you fought for. And what, like, I want to know about the nights that you thought you weren't going to make it. So I begin to just ask her about her journey. Begin to create a place of understanding. Create a place of, hey, like, like, cut me deep. And we just talked for hours. When we just cried together, we laughed together. She's like, will you please pray for me? And I prayed for her. And then she opens up her journal and she slides it over. She was a part of the Kansas City Prophets, and then she was a part of IHOP. This was about 10 years earlier. The Lord speaks to her and tells her in this journal entry she has. She slides over to me. She, the, I'm reading her journal, and the, and the Lord is speaking to her and says, Jill, I will give you. She was never married in the natural. She never had kids in the natural. And the Lord says to her, I'm giving you two sons, one named Sean, one named Chad. And she's weeping, saying, I've been waiting and praying for you for over 10 years. And I just started weeping. Like, this is my mom. She became one of the greatest moms of my life, her and Heidi Baker. You know, where she would sit me down and say, Chad, you're a forerunner. You're like a pioneer. Like, this is the hits that I've taken as a forerunner. She would take my wife out to Bregman and say, hey, you know, I've been a woman in ministry. I've taken these hits. Like, you don't have to take the same hits I have. Here's my wisdom. Here's my breakthrough. She was such an amazing mom. She'd put on these prophetic conferences, and she would have me come and speak at them. And then we would ride jet skis. Like, she was such a little kid. And I could have missed out. If I would have let a fence creep in, I could have missed out on one of the greatest moms that I've ever had in my life. And I'm telling you, there's people that have offended you. There's people, and they actually are carrying something for you. They are carrying breakthrough that you desperately need. Jesus. Well, that was me fishing. Some of you get that. Jesus, we just thank you for impartation. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, that we would recognize the different places of impartation. And Lord, that we would be aggressive with offense would be aggressive with getting rid of offense. See, as a minister, like it's so important for me that I am paying attention to my heart. Oh, let's just look at it. Matthew, let's go with Matthew 11. Let's just, you know, we're just hanging around Matthew. It's a... Uh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, let's go with Jesus. I'm just, uh, you know, just having some fun. Okay, so Matthew 11. Let's look at, you know, this is John the Baptist. And this is huge for me because this is something that I pray pretty consistently in my life. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent a message by his disciples and asked them, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Okay, so this is John the Baptist, right? Like, John's whole ministry, like his pinnacle, his mandate, his main mandate 
was to have eyes to see, to recognize, to be the forerunner, the first one to recognize the Savior of the world. So he's eating like a healthy diet of locusts and honey, baptizing people in the river, going, is this the one? No. Is this the one? No. Is this the one? No. Behold, the one. He was able to recognize, and he was a part, he was in the middle of one of the craziest God encounters, heaven invading earth moments in the Bible. He baptized Jesus, and when he comes out, like the heavens part, the Father's voice begins to shout out, where they probably don't even hear it some with their ears, but they actually feel it in their bones. This voice who spoke and light became, you know, and, 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 and life, you know, began. Like this voice that created the heavens and the earth is focused solely at his son, saying, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased, and a dove shows up. And John was right there, like front row seats. But now he's sitting in prison, and he's sending his disciples, are you truly the one, or should we wait for another? Like, whoa! How can you go from that to that? Well, he's sitting in prison, right? And what did Jesus prophesy and proclaim in the synagogue when it was his turn to read, which was pretty crazy. Like everyone was reading Isaiah, and it just came to the point of Jesus, it's time for him to read his part. And he just starts like prophesying. I have an anointing to set captives free. Well, John's in prison. John's sitting there twirling his thumbs like, Jesus, you just said you have an anointing to set captives free. I know you're the Savior of the world, but after a while, unbelief starts setting in. I mean, like, this is his cousin. Like, he's like, dude, are you not going to bail out the guy that first promoted your ministry? Like, you have an anointing to set me free. Why am I not being set free? Not only that, I'm family. I'm your cousin. And he's like, well, maybe, maybe it's not true. Maybe I just, like, made it all up. Maybe, like, there's not, that's not the Savior of the world. Like, I missed the mandate. And what does Jesus say to them? His disciples are like, hey, are you the one or should we wait for another? Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told of the good news, and if anyone is not offended because of me, he is blessed. So you have to understand, there's moments where God might offend us but it's to, it's, to, it's to understand, to bring a promotion, to bring an upgrade in the spirit realm that is actually a blessing. I mean, he's not testing us to set us up for failure. It's revealing what's in our hearts. And only you are responsible for your heart. Your spouse, your pastor... You know, your small group leader, worship leader, like, like God, you don't understand. You know, you're, up, you're there on the great day of judgment, and you're like, no, no, you don't understand my offense. My worship pastor never let me play the guitar. He shut me down. <laughs> I'm justified in my offense. They denied me for the missions trip. If I only went on that missions trip, I would have been like the next John G. Lake. It's all on them. You have no excuses when you come before the Lord. 
No one else is in charge of your heart. That's why it's so important that I was like, okay, God, soften my heart. In moments of crazy breakthrough, I'm like, okay, I need to just camp here for a moment. There's nutrients in this moment to just soften my heart. Blessed is he who is not offended at me. Like, we need to be aggressive with offense. I once had a really good friend. We were doing ministry together. Couldn't get a hold of him for a couple years. My wife tried to get a hold of, of uh, his wife. We do this conference together, and it was like two years we haven't seen each other. And he says, Chad, I haven't talked to you on purpose. Because... He just had this weird warp deal of like you're under an old wineskin being at Bethel and you know we had just left you know a vineyard in Bethel to go on this trip around the world and he's like now I could talk to you because you're no longer under Bethel and all this stuff and I've been you know just not talking to you I told my wife not to talk to your wife and I'm like what I was just super I'm like what kind of friendship is that like if I have a friend that starts you know doing drugs or having like I'm gonna run after them like hey what's going on I love you. And I'm like, wait, you were blowing up the bridge because I was under an old wineskin? Like, what in the world was that? So I was, not too, I was not happy. I was like, man, I feel really hurt. I feel like this is, this is ridiculous. It's like a warped, weird thing of friendship. And so we're ministering the next day, and Julie goes, hey, I think we're supposed to give him money. And I'm like, and the other person in this conference is Heidi and Roland Baker. So I'm like, honey, if we're going to give anyone money, it's going to be Heidi and Roland. Like, we give them money, and, you know, these kids get fed. You know, houses get built. We give this guy money, and he buys a new iPad. You know, like, like let's invest into, the, like, you know, into the nations. And I was like, oh, dang, that's offense. See, offense is more like, for, it's, it's not really, it doesn't matter about the other person. What matters is what's going on in your heart. So I'm like, okay, honey, well, what do you think we should give them? So she tells me a number, and I'm like, let's double it. Because I want to get rid of this thing. It doesn't, I don't care what he does with the money. It's about me getting my heart right. It's about me getting my heart soft. Amen. I want to kill it. I'm not going to let offense creep in. And that's why, like, sometimes you can be justified. You could be, you know, awesome. But you just got to get rid of it. And be aggressive. Jesus. trying to ask the Lord, where does he want me to go right now? You're supposed to just pray for impartation. And I just want, like laying out of hands for me, I love it. I love getting hands laid on me. And here's the deal, is you go to places and you get people that receive impartation. Somebody asked me once, can you lose mantles? Can you lose impartation? And I was talking with God about that. I have a question journal. I would recommend everyone to have a question journal. I, uh, I love asking God questions. I love asking spiritual fathers and mothers questions. So I'm constantly asking questions. And, 
you know, that's a famous proverb, Proverbs 25. It's the glory of God to conceal matter. It's the glory of kings to search a matter out. Like, I love asking questions. And so I've had a question journal for 15 years. And so um, I just totally lost where I was at. Question journal, questions. Laying out of hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, you guys are amazing. You guys are right there. That was amazing. That was a great synopsis right there. So yeah, so can you lose it? And I asked God that question, and the Lord's like, no, you can't lose it, but it could lie dormant. And what's awesome is we have the God of like restoration, like the years of the locusts have eaten, God brings back. For example, my dad, who has one of the craziest like healing anointings, when he got saved in the charismatic Catholic renewal, he started praying for people that were sick, and they were all getting healed. And then he prayed for this one lady, and she died. And he's like, oh, dang, I don't have, like, the gift of healing. I've got the gift of death, like, you know. And so he never prayed for healing again. Went into the vineyard, went into ministry, was a pastor. And it was 1997. Me and my dad were watching the Lakers. Sorry, I was born in a purple and gold family. But I was born in Los Angeles, you know, so, you know, it's just like if I was born in Charlotte, I'd be a Hornets fan. And I, I love the Hornets. But anyways, that's a whole other side subject. Muggsy Bogues, that was our conversation this morning, you know. Talk about a giant killer. And um, so, anyways, we're watching the Lakers play, and one of our roommates comes and goes, Kevin, my back, oh my gosh, you know, my back. And he had multiple surgeries, and he had back issues. And he threw out his back. And he's like, please, Kevin, pray for me. And my dad's like, uh, no, you don't want me to pray for you. The last person I prayed for died. <laughs> and he's begging my dad. And my dad's like, all right, like, I'll pray for you. He puts his hands on his back. And he says, Jesus, heal him. Short, simple, powerful. Well, not super powerful because my dad didn't really have much faith at that moment. And, and, and the guy goes, oh, my gosh, I feel electricity in my back. And he starts doing these, like, kicks and Starts doing, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm healed. And my dad the whole time is sitting on the couch just staring at his hands like, no way did that just happen through my hands. And my dad just caught it. Like my dad just like every Sunday morning from that moment on prayed for the sick. And it lied dormant for 22 years. And then my dad like is seeing crazy people getting healed of cancer, wheelchairs, Creative miracles. Me and my dad prayed for this guy who was missing his thumb in San Diego from like a, a lawn mowing accident. He had a missing thumb for like over three years, and we put our hands where his thumb would have been, and we remove it, and there's his thumb. He had no thumbnail, so we went to the students, the BSSM students, and said, all right, we got the thumb, now it's your turn to get the thumbnail. And then they watched the thumbnail grow, but it only grew halfway and then it stopped, and then it grew, you know, naturally from that point on. But he would go around San Diego like, hey, and everyone was like, what? Hey, oh, Fonzie. For all you baby boomers. That just happened. Just put it on. 
What's the craziest stuff you, or what's the funniest stuff you've done on stage? Well, I did a Fonzie imper impersonation once. <laughs> that has literally never happened before. <laughs> it takes you activating the impartation. Like, it takes a moment to receive. Like, I want to pray for everybody in here. It takes a moment to receive, and some of you, you might not feel anything. But it would be the lie from the enemy to say you didn't receive anything. And it was Elisha who received a double portion from his spiritual father, Elijah. And he didn't know what he was working with until he took his father's mantle and striked the waters. You need to strike the waters to see what you're working with. It, you know, it, it takes a moment to receive impartation, but it takes a lifetime to steward it. You know, um, I went to Brownsville when I was uh, six, 17. Went to Brownsville, went to a youth conference, and I got rocked by God, and then they prayed for everybody. And I had my eyes closed, I was a good vineyard kid, my, my hands out. I could feel, when they prayed for me, I could feel the presence of God. It was tangible, it was awesome. I opened my eyes, and everyone is on the ground. And I'm like... Whoa, is it nap time? Like, does someone come in here and shoot everybody and they missed me? Like, what in the world is going on? Why is everybody on the ground? Like, and they say, oh, they got slain in the spirit. And I'm like, whoa, slain in the spirit? And I equated slain in the spirit as you feel God's presence so much that your physical body can't handle it and you end up on the ground. That sounds like more of God. I'm experiencing his presence, but it sounds like there's more that's available. And I was like, yeah, sign me up for more. So when I went back to Southern California, I went to like every meeting possible. Like you think you've been in crazy meetings. I have been in crazy meetings. You know, like you're, you're sitting there and they, they bring out like the man of God and he's like going to pray for everybody and he grabs you by the head and all you're thinking about is my hair and you know, and you're like kind of getting pushed a little bit and you're like in this tug of war match. Like, no, I want an authentic encounter with God. Like, you know, and then your friends are on the ground, like, oh, did God touch you? No, I just did a courtesy fall. I'm like, what? You know, and, and I always was like one of the ones standing up. And, 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 uh, and you know, normally when you know, in that environment, in the charismatic church in the mid-90s or late 90s, like, you know, you, if you have like about five that are standing up, they call them, you know, the HTRs, the hard receivers. And, 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 you know, usually like a door opens of the stage and all the intercessors come running out. And then they've got like their deliverance buckets and the whole deal. And I always was like, I went through so many deliverance services my senior year of high school because I was like, man, I must have a demon. Like I'm not getting saying the spirit. I didn't speak in tongues. I'm like, you know, and I was just, I would fast for 21 days. I would, you know, I was so hungry for more of God. Can I just tell one embarrassing story like for me? All right. So I love to eat. I love food. And um, my parents, uh, my family, we had to kill a generational curse of the spirit of gluttony. One time I was doing deliverance. And sorry, this is again an inception moment. Stories within stories. But I was doing a deliverance in Brazil. And we identified the spirit was a spirit of gluttony. And, and, and we're casting out the spirit. And no, the, the demon goes, I'll come out for a cookie. Yeah, the cookie monster. That's when we learned 
You never feed the spirit of gluttony. I'm more saying that as a, uh, as a joke for my family dealing with gluttony, but just this gives you a little bit of an example. Uh, Thanksgiving, man, I'm telling you, I should not be doing it. I, well, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Holy Lord. Okay, so, yeah, I should skip over that. Don't worry. So, I, I, one of these night services, it's like midnight, and then the intercessors come, and they start like, you know, they got their deliverance bucket, and I'm like trying, and I'm going, oh, wait, in and out. In and out is this hamburger place. It closes at 1 a.m. And it, so we have until 1 a.m. So I'm, I'm 17 years old and I'm going, In and out is about 30 minutes away. This deliverance thing usually takes 45 minutes to an hour. Like, I'm going to miss my window for my like third dinner because I'm like kind of like half hobbit. And like, you know, I mean, you know, I would eat, I would usually, cause, so in and out, you have these things like a double, double. You get a single, but then you have like three by three, four by four. So normally what I would do is I get two three by threes and a double double. Wow. Yeah, I could eat. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was like, man, I need to go eat some food. Like I'm starving. So I'm like, okay, what's a win-win scenario here? And I know this is a total embarrassing moment for me, but I thought I had a total like, you know, wisdom moment of I'm going to fake a deliverance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I'm like, how do I get out of here quicker so I don't miss my in and out window? Yes, I'm 17 years old, so give me some grace, okay? So I'm like, and I've seen many deliverances, so I'm like, oh, 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 and I'm like spitting in the bucket, I'm like, there it is, and they're all like dancing around, like freedom, and I'm like, thank you so much, and I went in and out. Sorry. It was just an embarrassing moment for me, but we did it. So I end up going to Brownsville. I end up going to Brownsville, 18 years old, took a bus there from L.A. all the way to Pensacola, Florida. Took a bus. That's a whole story in itself. Ended up leading the whole bus to the Lord. It was awesome. But I get to Brownsville, and I'm crying in my room, God, I want to speak in tongues. And my... uh, uh, a couple of the dorm guys come in, uh, like these two Germans and a Swiss guy, and they're going to Walmart. I don't have a car. And they're like, Chad, do you want to go to Walmart? And I'm like, yeah, I want to go to Walmart. And I jump in this red Jeep Cherokee, and they ask me, Chad, why are you crying? I'm like, oh, I've been praying to speak in tongues. I've been contending for like over a year to speak in tongues. Like I, I went like 18 months just crying out to God, not getting breakthrough. This was something that was very valuable to me. This is something that I was so hungry for. And they say, oh, it's easy to, get, to speak in tongues. You're gonna, we're going to pray all in the Spirit. We're going to drive to Walmart. You're going to feel something erupt in your spirit, something awaken. I'm like, I have heard this hundreds of times. Like, I've gone through this process so many times. And the Lord's like, Chad, maybe you need to ask me to reset your ears like you're hearing it for the first time. And I'm like, oh, dang. Okay. And I'm in the passenger seat. And so I'm like, all right, God. And we're driving, going 45 miles an hour. And I look over at the guys in the back. They all have their eyes closed. You know, they're like, they're speaking in tongues. And I look over at the driver. He has his eyes closed, speaking in tongues. And I'm like, well, I'm about ready to have an encounter with the Lord, you know, regardless. I'm either going to get speaking in tongues or we're going to get in an accident. I'm going up to heaven. Like, and so I'm like, well, if you can't beat him, join him. So I just close my eyes and just embrace for the glory. 
and something just erupts in my spirit. I began to speak in tongues, and I had this crazy manifestation that I felt like I was floating. It felt like, you know, and I didn't realize, like, wow, a lot of the mystics and a lot of, like, like these nuns and, you know, like they would actually have to be tethered to the pulpit or a pew so that they wouldn't be, like, floating away. And I'm like, guys, I feel like I'm floating. Like, we need to go and, like, get some rope. It was crazy. And then a week later, I'm in this little men's prayer meeting. I'm like, all right, I got, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm speaking in tongues. Now it's time to get slain in the Spirit. Like, and, and so I was contending for that. And I'm in this little men's prayer meeting. And I'm like, God, oh, you know, like, please, you know, I'm ready. And, and I suddenly go into this vision. No one's laying hands on me. I go into this vision where I see Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade when he steps uh, through that invisible bridge, like the leap of faith, I think it's called. So I saw my spirit man where I was on this cliff, and I knew that there was like this invisible bridge, and I, put, I saw my spirit man just put my hands on my heart and then just take a step and go. And the moment I took a step, I took the step of faith, I felt like someone punched me in the stomach. I went flying to the floor. My, I started shaking so crazy. My shirt came off. My shoes came flying off. Like I was, my friend said I was like a fish being electrocuted. Like a fish out of water being electrocuted. I would shake from one end of the room to the other. And, and, I, and I, could, I knew that I was in a men's prayer meeting. I, I could, it felt like it was background noise. But this other reality started coming in, and I saw heaven for the first time. I didn't even know that was legal. I thought that was like for Paul, the apostle, like, you know, John, you know, the beloved. Like, I didn't even know that was legal. I never even asked for that. But there I am, and I see the throne room, and I see the Father. He leans towards me. He doesn't say anything. He opens his mouth, and out of his mouth comes waves. And it was waves that began to hit my spirit, and that's what was causing me to shake. It was the deepest revelation of the Father's love that I've ever, ever had before. Lasted about a good four hours, and then my friends, my roommates are like, Chad, it's curfew, and they're trying to get my attention. And and I'm like... um, you know, like I'm halfway in, halfway out, really hard to articulate what that looks like. But I'm like, wait a second, do I want curfew to shut down the, the, the greatest encounter I've had with the Lord? And I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh. And I just started screaming, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. Went right back into the throne room and I was gone. No more background noise, no more. I came to 14 hours later on someone's living room floor and they said I was screaming. They said that all night I was screaming, I love you, Daddy. It was a spirit of adoption, a baptism uh, of the Father's love. And so I became a youth pastor, and we would have these kids that would get radically saved, and the moment they get saved, we would pray for them, they would get slain in the spirit, they would get like spirit of adoption, they would get prophetic words for people, they would get words of knowledge, they would see people get healed like the first night. And they would kind of like get slain in the spirit and me going to youth conferences and youth retreats. And these kids would have their like encounter with God. And they would get them like, ah, that wasn't that big of a deal. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a big deal. Do you realize that I paid a price? And so the whole thing for me is, God, let me create value. Lord, help me create value for the impartation, fathers and mothers, that they paid a price that I don't need to pay. But in order for me to receive that is I need to 
have honor, I need to receive and understand, wow, there was a price to pay that I get to receive freely. But then the other thing that I pray for is, God, let a generation value what I paid a price for. That we wouldn't take things lightly. That we understand things that we receive breakthrough in through impartation, someone else paid a price for. But what's awesome is we get to receive it. So I want to pray for you guys. And I'm just going to give away what's on my life that I just want you guys to see breakthrough. And it's going to come in many shapes, sizes, and forms, but I just want you to be in receive mode, and I'm just going to lay hands on everybody. And um, I just believe that God's going to release impartation. Some of you will have God encounters. Some of you will, you know, maybe you might have a dream tonight or whatever. There's there's so many different things. Like Leif Hetland, he had an impartation, and nothing happened, and then he, like, came, uh, uh, you know, did like this church thing, and everyone just gets blasted by God. Claudio Friesen got prayed for by Benny Hinn. Nothing happened, and he went to his church in Argentina and goes, hey, everybody, and everyone just whoosh, just goes out. And he's like, well, I guess I received something without even realizing it. And so the reality is, is you are going to receive something, but I would just, you know, just A, don't take it lightly. Learn how to take that mantle and strike the waters to see what you're working with. Go and do something on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So let's pray for you guys. Again, it is like a whirlwind sprint that I'm here for like a little over 24 hours. And I'm so thankful to be here with you guys. And you guys are an amazing family. Just getting to know, you know, your pastors, like, you guys have legends for pastors. And uh, it's pretty amazing what God's doing in this community. It is. What you guys are doing in this region, it's amazing. And so I love pouring into places that are full of hunger and they're doing something with it. And you guys are doing something. And so what a privilege for me to come here and just receive and give away. Because that's the thing is, is, you know, us as ministers, we're constantly receiving as well. And there's something to receive here from you guys. Like, it's amazing. There's a well that God's building here. And so let's pray for you guys. So how do we want to do this? admin-wise, should we have people stand up here and then stand along the wall, and I'll just go around the whole sanctuary and pray for everybody? Is that, is that would work? Okay, so then that's, yeah, so we'll go across the front one line, and then just line up against the wall, and if I could have a couple ushers just come, and a couple catchers, maybe put on a little bit of music. So again, I'm going to come pretty quick. But it's not about me, it's about getting an impartation from heaven. And so just get into a place of receiving. So Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for your anointing. Yeah, 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 you can start, we'll start there. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for your anointing. I thank you, Lord, for your presence. And I thank you, Lord, each one of us are carriers of your presence. And so, Lord, I just pray for impartation from heaven. I pray, Lord, 
that you would, that this, there's something about a breaker anointing being released in this house. Like, I think I prophesied over three or four people publicly about a breaker anointing. And like, there is this like spirit of breakthrough on you guys. And so I'm going to pray for that as a community, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would begin to reveal to individuals in this community. Lord, a breaker anointing. What does it look like getting breakthrough in this next season? And that you would have faith and hope for breakthrough. Some of you are feeling like you're hitting a ceiling, hitting a wall, and the Lord is giving you an anointing for breakthrough. Jesus. And then there's another thing that I want to pray for you guys that I really believe that you guys are forerunners in the Charlotte area in North Carolina for the spirit of unity. And that there's something about the spirit of unity. And just while you guys are just staying in that place of receiving, I'm reminded of something that I need to release, so then I'm going to pray over everybody. But I don't know if you guys see the numbers 222, but I would see, I think it was about 2006, so 12 years ago, I went through a journey where I would see that number 222 all the time. Like, you know, put in hotel room 222. Buy a sandwich, my change was 222. What time is it? 222. The mileage on my car, I've gone 222 miles. Like, there's just so many, like, you know, I just kept on seeing that number. I'm like, God, what does that mean? And here's the deal is, is just really quick on the prophetic, I get really excited when God's speaking. But I would say half the time, I don't know what he's saying, but I know that he's speaking. And it's the ability to get really excited when he's speaking and not get like discouraged when you don't know what he's saying. The fact that you caught it and recognize that he is speaking is half the battle. And so I was like, tell people, I'm seeing this number 222, like God is screaming from the rooftop. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's so awesome. So anyways, one night I wake up and I see this angel who's going through my ceiling. Like it's, I knew that it was a watcher angel. I knew that he had a message and I'm like, all right. I'm just like, he's like staring at me. We're like doing this like stare down and, and I'm just like sitting up in my bed and I'm like, I have this guy, I'm waiting for him to speak or do what he needs to do. Julia wakes up and goes, oh my gosh, that's one of the biggest angels I've ever seen. And then she rolls over and goes back to bed. And I'm like, how did you go back to sleep? <laughs> and the angel opens his mouth and out come the numbers, 222. And he's standing in between uh, our bed and our closet. And our closet had like this huge mirror. And so the reflection from 222 from the mirror was 555. And then I saw the digital clock on my wife's uh, you know, side of the bed. And the, and the digital clock on the mirror said 555, and I look over, and the clock says 222. So this messenger angel released the message of 222 at 222 in the morning. But there was something about 555, so I couldn't go back to sleep. So I just, like, stayed awake. I was praying, and I was like, yeah, I got to call Bob. I got to call Bob Jones, which is really interesting that I'm in, you know, Charlotte, where Bob lived along, you know, most of his life. And Bob was like my spiritual grandfather. So Bob would not have his phone plugged in. He had, you know, a hard line, like, you know, uh, a landline, and he would unplug his phone until God said, hey, Rick Joyner's going to call you, Sean, you know, Chad's going to call you, so he'd plug it in, and there'd be times when you would call and you'd get the busy signal or, like, you know, off the hook signal, I'm like, dang, I guess I didn't hear God right, and then, and then, and then there'd be times that you'd call and be like, boy, I've been waiting, like, three hours for you to call me, what took you so long, you know, so anyways, I call him at, like, 
7 a.m. my time, which is 10 a.m. Maybe I called him 6 and it was 9 a.m. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good time to call Bob. And Bob's like, well, I've been waiting so long for you to call me. What's going on? You know, like, and I'm like, well, I, um, I, I had this encounter. He's like, yep, there was a messenger angel that visited you last night, wasn't it? And I'm all, yeah, it was, Bob. And uh, well, what did he say? And I'm like, well, uh, the numbers 222 came out of his mouth. And I was like, something about 555 was reflected on the mirror. I knew that was really important. And, and, and he goes, boy, you ever read your Bible? And I'm like, sorry, I'm giving a pretty bad Bob impersonation, but it's all right. <laughs> Anyways, um, he had this laugh that was awesome. And, uh, and so he's all, you know, do you ever read your Bible? And I'm like, yeah, Bob, yeah. He's all, well, it's the spirit of unity. 222 is the spirit of unity. That Revelations 22, 1 and 2 are married to Ephesians 2.22. And Ephesians 2.22, 20 through 22, is, you know, all of us being the dwelling place, the habitation, the building blocks for the presence of God and Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And Revelations, you know, 20, uh, uh, yeah, 22, verse 1 and 2, is the, the river that flows from the throne room that has the healing of the nations planted in there. And he began to tell me about there's a river that flows from the throne room that's connected to the tabernacle, that's connected to the building blocks that the church is planted in. And he said, there's a mandate on you for the spirit of unity, Chad. And there's a mandate on this house for the spirit of unity. Like there is something about you guys carrying unity in many shapes, sizes, and forms. And for you to release a spirit of unity. So that's what I'm going to be praying over you guys is this whole place of unity and this whole place of breakthrough. That you guys are carrying a breaker anointing. Like there's something about cancer bowing, you know, in the, in the four walls of this place. There's like a healing anointing. But there's something about breaker, and it's going to come in healing, but it's also going to come in financial breakthrough. There's something about financial breakthrough. There's even people in this room that, like, God's about ready to give you a financial breakthrough. Like some of you, you know, you've, uh, I, well, what I'm getting is like this vacuum that was like sucking up money, but then the, the knob gets reversed, and then suddenly all the money gets released. And so, Lord, I, I just thank you, Lord, that there's even like these angels of restoration that are in this, in this building. And some of you, like, it was like, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but there's somebody here, you lost like everything four years ago, and God is restoring God is restoring. It's like you, you, you lost. There was uh, broken promises, promises that um, were backed out of. And the Lord is saying, this is a season of promises fulfilled. And so, Lord, we just commission angels of restoration right now. That we just break off any place. It's almost like the enemy is trying to shut you down and, and live in hope deferred. And so, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for restoration.